I was talking to Andy and Daryl last night. <laughs> Andy cracks me up. But uh, you know, there's a there's a few people, folks, that uh, that believe in you as a, as a church. They really believe in you. And here comes one of them. Uh, Andy's one of them. We've been walking together for years, decades even. And there's a scripture uh, somewhere in the New Testament, I think it's in Peter, uh, but it talks about the salvation that we have is such a treasure that the angels desire to look into it. They want to look and behold, what is this? What do you think about that? Because they were there during all the creation of God. They saw all the universe, everything made, the beauty of it all. And yet that salvation of which we are a part of is something that really captures their imagination and, and their attention. They just gaze at it. And such is what I think this church can be. Something that all the people that, that walk with God who minister long-term can look at and go, what is different about this? Because they all sense it. And they keep coming back. And uh, they keep coming back to you. So you keep it up. I mean, I know you're not perfect. In fact, we talked about that at men's breakfast. It's how imperfect we can be. But you know what? You're trying. You try. That's all we ask, that you try your best. And God keeps sending people in that, that are really what I would call high performers in the spirit. Because I think he sees something here. We're on the threshold of the greatness of God's kingdom. The greatness. I have lived my life for what I see transpiring now. And I am getting old, despite myself. I'm getting older. And this is why I'm in, uh, living for. Janine's been coming out here for 20 years from up, or 25, or however long it's been. Same thing. We keep wondering, what's up? Why so much focus and firepower has God directed on this place? Something's coming. It's coming. And you can feel it. I can. So, just... Take moments like this morning where you have to cry out and get a little help. Take advantage of those. Because God is trying to extend himself to you. Janine. And Russell cleaned up and dressed up for the moment. He looks pretty good when he cleans up. Yeah. What year was it you came out here? I seriously think it was about 96. Because I was, I moved to 93. Colorado Springs. Remember? 96, so it's been 23 it's been years. Thank you for that. So you're 28. I am. <laughs> oh, he bought me the big one. Good. Good. Go for it. You know, there's one way of getting the pulpit early. <laughs> Hijacking the worship. That's what you do. I've wept a lot when I prepared this message. And I asked the Lord if I was going to weep while he gave it. (laughs) And it looks like it. Let me tell you, God is really tender this morning. But he's not tender. Do not ever mistake the tenderness of God for weakness. Don't ever mistake the tenderness of God for weakness. His tenderness is his strength. 
The angels that came this morning are very different this morning. And they're robed in military attire. Yeah, they're robed a very different military. And um, which means we're going to be stepping in some stuff. But there's going to be grace for it. Turn to your Bibles in Luke, please. Yes, Janine, speaking out of the New Testament, I just need to point that out. <laughs> yeah, it's a new day. I don't know. Even prophets can speak out of the New Testament. <clears throat> so Holy Spirit started talking to me about passion. And um, so I, I started studying passion. And so I put it on Facebook. I know that some of you responded. Um, what is your definition of passion? And one of them said a consuming drive. Um, one of them said a burning in your heart that threatens to destroy every fiber of your being if not expressed properly. That was the dramatic one. That was Williams. <laughs> and unex- another one said an unexplainable drive that defies logic and reason. That things so innate within you that you would do it if money or time are not an issue. This story in Luke 24, it starts at verse 13. I'm not going to read it um, all because long, long, reading long passages of scripture loses people. But this is the road to Emmaus where there were two men walking and, and they were going to Emmaus. And, and let me tell you what had happened before is Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They just found the tomb that was empty. Peter ran ahead, found the tomb that was empty. And these two men are walking to Emmaus and Jesus shows up and walks with them. They don't have a clue who he is. It says their understanding was darkened, so they didn't understand that it was Jesus. And so Jesus asked some questions about what just happened, and the men responded with, have you been under a rock for the last, I mean, are you the only one in Jerusalem who, did not, who does not know what happened? Totally what I would have said, Wanda. I'm like, I might even, you know, hit him upside the head. Really? Where have you been? And then Jesus um, says, Jesus kind of scolds him a little bit. And reminds them of what the prophet said, and this is the best part of the mess. This is just a really good part of this. Jesus takes them through from Moses on up what they had, where it revealed Jesus to them. What a conversation. What a conversation. And they were so enraptured with who Jesus was. This is my version, Nicole. Um, they were so enraptured with who Jesus was, they didn't want him to leave. Even though they didn't know who he was, they didn't want him to leave. So they came to a city, and it was getting dark. And Jesus said, well, I'm just going to go a little bit farther. And they said, no, stay with us. Eat with us. Stay with us. See, even though people don't know what's Jesus in you, they still like you, and they still want you around. They don't know that it's Jesus in you. They don't know the favor they're giving you is Jesus. That's for free. So Jesus blesses, he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And their eyes were opened. Look at verse 30. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? (sighs) Do you 
remember, and I mean this honestly, and I'm going to ask you a lot. I'm asking you this question a lot today, so this is just the first time. Do you remember when your heart burned within you? I'm asking you seriously. Do you remember when your heart burned within you, Betty? Do you remember when you, when you went to bed and thought of something and you woke up and thought of that same thing? Do you remember, Michael, when your heart burned within you? And I'm not being spiritual. I'm not saying that it's burning with Jesus. What I'm saying is, do you remember having passion? Do you remember that burning? When they walked with Jesus, they said, did our hearts burn with us? I've gone to the Lord and I said, God, I remember my heart burning within me. You know, I remember that. The fact that I say I remember that makes me weep. (laughs) I don't want to remember my heart burning within me, Betty. I want my heart to burn. I don't want to remember it, passion. I I want to have it so burning in me that that's what it is. Let me talk to you about passion. Passion is not a large expression. Lust is a large expression. That's a great distinction. Lust is a large expression. Lust is flashy. Intimacy and passion are the small things. It starts with a small, it starts with a little look. It starts with your husband bringing you coffee or your husband doing something little for you or a friend doing something small for you. You can be intimate. You can have an intimate relationship, an intimate friendship where your friend does something for you that's thoughtful. A lot of times it's a little thing. Passion always starts a little. Passion starts where, God, I'm just, I have five minutes in the car and I just want to tell you I'm overwhelmed this morning or I just want to tell you how much I love you. That's passion. That starts that starts passion. That invites him into your day. Sometimes we think that passion has to be a large expression, and um, it can be. I'm not saying that it isn't, but it never starts. Passion never starts with large expressions. It starts with little expressions, and it grows from there. Think about I want to talk to husbands and wives for a minute. Um, You know what blesses me the most is when my husband does little things for me. Do you know what makes me feel loved by Russ when he does little things for me? Um, and the fact that he can go to a store and buy something for me that he knows I'm going to like and that he knows he's not going to like frightens me. Because he knows me so well. Let me tell you, knowing someone, oh, Okay, let me just address the wives. If you're afraid of your husband knowing you that well, you need to repent. You need to repent. It's your job as a wife to know everything about your husband. Do you know, husbands, it's your job to know everything about your wife in that sense. You need to know her favorite color. You need to know what she, you know, Russ likes fruit. God did not put fruit on this earth for me. Rachel, he didn't. When we go to those yogurt places, he goes, he goes to the fruit aisle. I'm like, I will meet you at that table right there because I'm going to the other side with the chocolate, the nuts. And we find the table. Don't, we do it, we, it's funny. We do it every time. But we come together. In our diversity, we still come together. 
husbands and wives, that you need to come together. You need to come together. Intimacy, by, by, by the whole concept of passion, means you are yoking yourself to something. So um, it's, it's just the product of passion. You can't have passion and not yoke yourself with something. Having passion and not yoking yourself with something is called lust. That's lust. That's a difference. Passion means you are yoking yourself with something. So what are you yoking yourself to? Boy, that's a good question. Passion also means... It means you're yoking yourself to good things and bad things. I'm looking at good things right now. But let's talk about anger. Let's talk about violence. Let's talk about addiction. Let's talk about control. Let's talk about... um, I asked Russ, when men lose their passion, what happens? Because, you know, as a female, I think I know what happens. I don't have a clue, Nick. Um, Russ said, he said this, he said, men immerse themselves in false things. They immerse themselves in outlets that, that bring them a level of satisfaction. He said, but they're not necessarily healthy things. They become restless. Men become restless. They go into excuses and they go into blaming, he said. But he said they, they will focus and put their energies on something that is not good because it's a, it's a distraction. So they're yoking themselves with whatever that is. And then you have Al coming who talks about his judicial prayers. And if you haven't, I mean, Al can teach for months on judicial prayers. And you never say the same thing twice. So if you're yoking yourself with anger, if you're yoking yourself with addiction, if you're yoking yourself with violence, if you're yoking yourself with depression, if you're yoking yourself with bitterness, if you're yoking yourself with hatred, and you step into that, you try to step into that place of praying judicially, it's not going to be good. It will not be well with your soul. Passion is a fire. Larry's been talking about fire. Passion is a fire, and you can't get away from passion being a fire. One of the names of God, and and one of the best things for your private life and your personal life is studying the names of God. And um, because there's always something that hits you when you study the names of God. I've done it several times, and you just, I'm telling you, it just ministers to your spirit because you will never know everything there is to know about God. And studying his names is just, so one of his names is, is consuming fire. His name is consuming fire. So if passion is a fire, that means that he is a consuming passion. He's a consuming fire. There's three fires that are coming. This is the fun part of the message. There's three fires that are coming. The younger generation, God took me to Abraham and Isaac. When um, the sword generation, Abraham had been promised Isaac for a long time, years and years and years and years. We all know the story. And Isaac comes. And then God says, I want you to take your promise and I want you to build an altar and I want you to make an altar and put your promise on the altar. Younger generation, I'm telling you, there's a season of putting your promise on the altar you have to there's no other you can't have the promise of god not put it on the altar larry because you will worship it 
You will worship your promise. Um, And let me tell you, God is a jealous God. He will not let you worship anything but him, anyone but him, anything but him. And it is so in us to worship something and so in us to worship someone that we will worship the promise. And we'll find identity in the promise. So younger generation, God's going to require you to put it on the altar. Now, the funny thing about that is that you know the story, Josh. You know the story. God provided another sacrifice. So let me tell you what you don't do. um, Let me get that. Let me tell you what you don't do. You don't do this. You get that? You don't do this. And you don't do, you don't do that. He, he asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac without the understanding there was going to, he didn't know there was going to be another sacrifice there. He didn't know there was going to be another sacrifice there. You have to put your promise on the altar and walk away. Whew. Because our identity has become our promise. Our identity has been wrapped up in our promise. And it has robbed our passion. Because some of us have waited a long time for God to do things in our lives. Some of us, the things in our life didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to be. And it's broken our hearts. And it stole our passion. Oh, we're supposed to be passionate. We're supposed to be passionate people, Betty. Passionate. Did you know that a third of the angels fell? Third of the angels fell, God didn't even roll over. I mean, if God was sleeping, he doesn't sleep. But if God was sleeping, he didn't even roll over. It didn't shake him. It didn't concern him. It didn't anger him. But do you want to know Adam and Eve fell? Two people. And God immediately had a plan of salvation in in place. That's how much he thinks of you. That's how passionate he is about you. That Adam and Eve fall, and immediately he has a way to bring them back. I'm going to redeem them, and this is how. That speaks to how much, how much you mean to him, how much he's passionate about you. So shouldn't we be passionate about him? The young, the Abraham and Isaac fire is a, is a fire of obedience. Boy, that makes it quiet in the room, doesn't it? <laughs> It's a fire of obedience. The sword generation, the fire that's coming is a fire of obedience. It's a fire of obedience. Will you do what God's asking you to do when no one's around? Will you do what God's asking you to do when you're not sure if he's ever going to give it back? Some of you are so sure you know, and you have no idea. Don't stand in this pulpit without understanding the place that you have when you stand here and the destiny that you hold in your hand when you stand here. It's a, it's not, it, it's, 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 privilege isn't even the word, and I can't think of another word that, that grabs it, Larry. The fear of the Lord. 
to stand behind this pulpit. It's never a right. It's never a right. It's the fear of God. Older generation, it's the time to take the this time for you to take your promise off the altar. It's time for you, and this is just as much a word for me as it is for anybody. I like sacrificing things on the altar, Larry, because I can walk away. I'm used to loss. You know, I'm used to loss. And I can go to God with a broken heart and go, okay, God, let's chat. And we'll chat about it. And I I get the whole loss thing. And I know, Kim, I'm not the only one. I can do, we, we can do loss. Betty, we got lost down. Kim, we can do it in our sleep. Emmy, how much have we gone to the Lord in tears over loss? Over something we thought was going to be God and it ended up, Brenda, it ended up not to be. Or it ended up not to look like what we thought it was going to look like or our heart got broken again. And we said, we're not touching that again. Oh, my Lord, have I said that. And you know what? we got to go to the altar one more time and take our promise off and believe God that he's going to do it for us. And this time it's not going to look like what we thought it was going to look like. It's not going to feel like what it's going to look like. But you know what? It's time to take it off and have it now. It's time to go to war for it and not leave it in a place of loss. Ooh, man, that's a word. I... I just speak over the staff generation in the name of Jesus that we will not be lost in loss anymore in Jesus' name. I just speak to them that we will pick up that rod. We will pick up the promise of God and we will own it. We will run with it. We will pray into it. We will speak life into it and it will not smell of smoke in Jesus' name. We have gotten so used to loss, we have lost our passion. And we will not be passionate. We've chosen not to be passionate. Father, forgive us because we've not been passionate. But we were so caught up in the loss of it, we didn't know what to do. But, Father, you do. And I speak life over to everyone's promises, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And it is time to take that off the altar. Everyone, there's another fire experience that's coming. That's three fellows by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know the story. So the king was really proud of himself, and he had all these instruments play. And he said, when all the instruments play, um, I want you to bow down to me. So all the instruments play, and these three fellows just stood up and stood there. And they got in trouble for it. And so the instruments played again, and they still stood. I want to say, Michael, that I would stand. I really want to say that I would want to say that you would stand. But when you're talking about a couple thousand people and you're standing, you know, we all want to think we'd stand. But don't think for one minute that the music isn't playing now. Don't think the music isn't playing now. Just because you haven't heard the music. Music's playing. And people are bowing. And you have the choice of either standing or bowing. So they stood. And the king didn't get just anybody to throw them into the fire. He got 
mighty men to throw them in the fire. So he got the big boys. He called out the big guns to throw them in the fire. And you know, they died. The fire was so hot, they threw them in and they died. The enemy's going to throw his best at you and think that he's done something when he throws you in that fire. Because the fiery furnace is coming. Some of you feel like you are in it now. You might be. But the enemy's going to throw his best at you. And you know, they went into the furnace and Jesus met them there. Jesus met them there. And what I don't know, I don't understand. And I went to the Lord. He didn't answer this. But I find it fascinating that the king said, it looks like the son of God. How did he know? How did he know that? I ask God these odd questions. That's why. Well, yeah, William and I ask God odd questions. I believe people know who God is in the midst of, in the middle of them. If you just access it, if you just grab hold of it, they know who God is. But the king within said, didn't I throw in three and there's four? So if you're not willing to stand and you get thrown in the fire, we'll pray for mercy for you. We'll pray for mercy. Because God comes when you stand. And you know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't do? He, they didn't. Um, it's not recorded that they hollered at everybody else that's, that bowed. It's not recorded that they made a big deal out of the people that bowed. They just stood. I don't know. I'm mouthy. I know you won't believe that, Michael, but I am. I don't know. Well, I didn't need an amen on that. Thank you. Um, I don't know that I could have, I can stand without saying something. You know? I don't know that I could stand without saying something to the people that are bowing down. But they just stood. Sometimes we're all ready to address the people that are bowing, not understanding why they're bowing, not understanding what's going on in their life, and we're ready to give them advice. We're ready to say something to them when God's just asking them to stand next to them. God's just asking you to stand. Can you just stand next to them? I have a friend who, um, I've known her a thousand years, and she um, has two kids, and, and she's made choices with her kids I wouldn't make. And I'm not a parent, so I get it. But she's made some choices that has caused her family to um, separate from her. And it's been very painful for her. And it's kind of controversial. And so I went to the Lord because I'd known her a long time. And I went to the Lord and I said, Father, what do I do with this? And he said, all I need you to do is love her. I don't need you to talk about it. I don't need you to say anything to her other than loving her. And you know, that's what I've done. I've loved her. Um, Recently, her husband died unexpectedly. And I have loved on her the whole time. It's what we do as Christians. We choose to love. My, love, my expression of love is not a sign of approval. It's not, a, it's not a thumbprint of everything in your life is great. It's a, I'm a Christian and loving is what I do. I choose to love. I choose to send you cards. I choose to let you know I love you. I choose to be here for you. We have to return to love being a passion in us. We have to yoke ourselves to love. The third the third fire is in Acts 2, where there's tongues of fire that rests on, on them. Remember when the spirit fell and tongues of fire rested on their heads? That's coming after the furnace. 
Don't we all want tongues of fire on top of our head? Don't you want the presence of God to, come, to follow you? So that people know who you are. You're, you belong to him. There's intimacy issues God is dealing with at the moment in all of us. God's dealing with intimacy and passion at the moment. And I had a hard time with, I know some of you have heard this story, but I'm going to tell you again, and you can act like you've not heard it. So. Um, I, had, it's, I had intimacy issues, and I probably still do on some level. We're not giving Russ the mic, and I'm not looking at him. Um, <laughs> but I've gotten a lot better. Um, my father never had time for me. So he always um, had a, he was a newspaper person, so he always had the newspaper popped up. And um, he was always busy reading the newspaper, watching TV. If I walked in front of the TV, I got yelled at. Um, he never played games with us. He never did anything with us. Um, so I always viewed God like that. You do have a tendency of viewing God the way that your earthly father was, on a tendency to do that. So um, I viewed God as doing that. I can't even tell you the man's name. We had a special speaker come into church, and we all came up forward for prayer. I can't even tell you why. He grabbed my hands, and he said, oh, we need to go to the throne. And that's all he said. And immediately I was taken to, um, now I know there's no darkness in heaven, but this is how sometimes God will show you things in a way that you understand them. So he's showing this to me as a way that I would understand this. Because there is no darkness in heaven. But I saw him on the throne, huge throne, and there were angels, there were angels all, all around him on either side. And the light from his throne made like a halo on the, around the, made a circle around on the, the not carpet, but on the, the floor in front of him. And there was a shadow on the edge of the light. And I was standing in the shadow. And he was leaning on one, on one shoulder of the, one arm of the, of the throne. And he was talking business with an angel. I'm assuming it was business. To me, it was business. And when I showed up, he, he stopped. It still makes me cry. It's been 20 years. When I showed up, he stopped. He put his hand out to the angel. He stopped and he turned and he looked at me. He didn't say anything. He didn't make any big promise, no big declaration, Nora. He just looked at me. And in that moment, all of that intimacy issues were totally gone because he saw me. Some of you have been jumping up and down wanting God to see you so hard. And God sees you. He sees you. God wants to have that kind of a visitation for you. Whenever I worshipped, I could never get past his knees. I would worship at the knees of Jesus for years because I could never get past his knees. I am so past his knees now. I can see his face. Because somebody grabbed my hands and said, oh, let's go to the throne room. And it just broke off of me. That's what we do for each other when we pray for each other. When, we, when, when, when we're there for each other, we break off. Um, we break it off. Didn't our hearts burn within us? What are you yoked with? Are you yoked with anger? Are you yoked? What have you been passionate about that you need to repent of? And it always seems like I talk about repentance when I come. 
Al talks about judicial prayer. <laughs> Janine's going to make you repent of something. Um, what, are, what do you need to repent of that you've yoked yourself with? Because, of, because God wants to redeem our passion in this season of time. I really Passion in this season is going to have a, a sound and a smell of redemption. It's going to have a sound and a smell of redemption. When God redeems your passion, it's going to have a sound of redemption. It's going to have a sm- everything in this season of time that comes from the throne room is going to have redemption in it. Everything. God's not moving us to the promised land for just us. He's not moving us to the promised land for us. Do you know why he's moving us to the promised land? For everybody that comes behind us. He's, mo- he's moving us to the promised land for everybody, for all the little Pams and Wills, so that they don't grow up in the desert. They grow up in the promised land. Because our desert season needs to be done. Oh, Kim, our desert season has long been done. I asked Holy Spirit about, I have two more points and then we're going to play. I asked Holy Spirit about what's passion then. If you're telling me what really, what passion is, What's the picture of passion in the Bible for, for us? And he kept taking me to this place. Um, I don't want my nose to run. It's really bad form when you have the mic. Um, that was funny, by the way, y'all. <laughs> I know I kind of slipped it in, but I know. Um, anyway, he took me to this woman. So Jesus, stay with, just stay with me for a minute. Jesus um, goes to the home of a Pharisee who's invited him to come eat. And this woman walks in. She wasn't popular and they didn't really want her there. And she walked in and she just made her way through the crowd. I anticipate, I think that they parted for her a little. I think they parted for her when she walked by. They certainly did not want this woman to touch them. She doesn't say anything, Larry. She just walks in. And she goes to the feet of Jesus. And she weeps so much that she washes his feet with her tears. And I was laying in bed yesterday morning. And Holy Spirit said, do you understand what that means? I said, yeah. She wept. He said, no, she wailed. Do you understand that that in Jerusalem it's a desert? It's a desert. So when they walked, their feet were caked with filth. Caked with filth. Because it was not refined. So you had animals that were peeing. You had probably kids and whatever else leaving all sorts of nastiness in the road that you walked on. Can you imagine the smell of his feet that were caked? It says the Pharisee did not give him water and a towel, which was customary for them to do in the day because of how dirty their feet would be. And she comes to Jesus, and she doesn't say anything. And she comes down to his stinky, smelly feet that are so caked. And she wails, and she wails, and she wails. And the tears wash off.
off the cake and it's off his, off his feet. And she takes her hair and she watches. She dries his feet with her hair. And then she takes this precious perfume and she she breaks the bottle and she anoints him. Of all the people that God has anointed his son for burial, he is a woman that wasn't even supposed to be there. And you know when we tell that story, we think that she cried a little. Betty, she wailed. Kim, she wailed. And it washed his feet, Pam. When was the last time you cried so much that it hurt? When was the last time you washed someone's feet? Maybe not with your tears. But when was the last time you washed, you came to the feet of Jesus and washed them with your tears? The word says that he keeps our tears in a bottle. Some of us have entire rooms, Larry. That's passion. That's what we don't have. That's what we don't have. Connie, we don't have passion like that. Pam, we don't have passion like that. That's passion. So let me tell you, Michael, what God did for me. Because there's a point in your message when you're studying where you think you've lost your mind. If you don't have that point, and when you prepare for messages, there's a point where you think you've lost your mind. And if you don't have that one moment, it's not going to be good. I'm just telling you. It's just not going to be good. And Larry has stuff that happens like this, but I don't. And that has started shifting for me. Um, Remember Lake City when, I think it was a Thursday night, when um, you were worshiping Michael and I ran up. Ran up, well, I didn't run because I had messed up my ankle, but I walked up the stage and, and I prayed this intense prayer about passion. And all of you looked at me like I just farted in church. And you all just, I'm just telling, I'm not being ugly, I'm just telling you what it looked like, Chris. It was just, all of you just looked at me like, it was like a universal pat on Janine's head. Well, you know, she's a little odd. And, um, so I prayed this intense prayer about passion. I turned around to Kyla and I turned around to Kyla, I turned around to Kyla and I said, I said, sing it like you mean it. And it was just so full of it. I just kind of gritted my teeth and her little eyes were just, I mean, she just kind of, Patrick, it was just like, you know. And I was so full of the spirit in me, I grabbed William and yelled at him for like 10 minutes. And he just looked at me, remember? He looked at me and just, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> because you feel it gets so full, you have to do something with it. You can't. You can't just. Hold, you have it. You need to hold. We were praying last night about about God expand our ability to hold Your presence. Expand our ability to hold Your presence. But it, sometimes it's so strong you have to do something with it because you're going to just have Janine guts everywhere. And so that's. And I'm recalling that moment because I went back to my room and I journaled. About that. Now, the funny thing is, when I start studying, I, I have a ton of notebooks and, and journals, so I just pick a notebook. I don't have a moment, you know, a, oh, I don't 
I have a moment like that. I just grab a notebook, go to the end of the written portion and start writing because I like to write things out. And so I start writing. And so I had a moment when I was really frustrated with a message and I knew I was overstudying and I was overshooting the mark. And, and so I just started flipping the pages and reading this journal. And I found this entry. And let me tell you, I, it parted the waters for me. I wrote it on August 10th on Thursday. I'm going to read it to you. A feeling of peace, calm, and passion. God, awake a passion in us to follow you, that we are consumed with all that you are and all that you want for us. Forgive us for not allowing you to redeem our passions. Forgive us for shutting off our passions and then being angry at you for not, and, and then being angry at you. Father, we don't want to live this anemic life we found ourselves in. Forgive us for thinking and believing that the enemy owns our passions. Forgive us as wives for trying to control our husband's passion. Forgive us as husbands for telling our wives that they have no passion, that they are, that our passions are unimportant, undervalued, and stupid, that our husbands are to be our only passion. Father, show us that our passions can be redeemed, restored, and redeemed. That was my entry, and that's what I found. So we are going to pray over an anemic life. Because that word anemic popped out at me. I'm going to have Russ tell a story. I want you to tell the story about our rings. Oh, I want you to, honey. You're such a good storyteller. Um, I always try to involve him because he really is a good storyteller. Um, but living in the promise when when we cross over into the promised land god knows what our heart wants god knows what our heart needs um and he he does, he wants to minister to your heart he wants to minister to you in places you would not allow yourself to speak it out loud that's god that's way you know god god has a name for me and so i know nor when when people prophesy over me and this pops out of their mouth i know it's god no i'm not going to tell you yes you can ask because if I tell you, then you're all going to use it because it's, you know. But God wants to be personal with each one of you. And he has a name for each one of you that he wants you to, he wants you to have. It's connected with passion. My husband has names for me. No, I'm not going to tell you. Because that's birthed out of our passion. It's birthed out of our intimacy. So we've been... We've been married 10 years in February 28th, and um, it just felt like a big deal to me. It was a big deal. And um, Russ has not ever had a real ring. So I was like, okay, 10th anniversary, we're going to get you a ring. And um, so he kind of hemmed and hawed, you know. And and, um, see, you should tell the story because I'm going to tell it my way. And so he kind of hemmed and hawed, and I'm like, no, we're going to go get a ring, Nora. So we we go to this place in Rogers that has... Three jewelry stores on the same, you know, on each corner. Like there's three of them within walking distance. And the first one, eh, I didn't find it there. And we go to the second one, and and we found it. I mean, it was like when Russ makes up his mind, that's it. I mean, it was like that's it. We're buying it. And um, and I knew it was God. It's a, it's a great ring. It's not you know, it's not gaudy or fancy or anything. It's just it really spoke to him because we both believe that we are each other's redemption. So his ring has got the Lord's prayer and a cross on it, and he just loves it. So there's a third jewelry store that's going out of business and it's their last day open so russ says why don't we just go over there and see if they have anything good so i walk through and 
Emmy didn't see, really see anything. It was like, man, there's a bunch of gnarly stuff and about a bunch of settings without, you know, the middle diamond or the middle stone in them. And I didn't, didn't really see anything. And Russ kind of looks at things slower than I do sometimes. And so I'd already made the, cause you know, Pam, we can shop. And so I'd already made the rounds. I'm like, okay, I'm done. And, and Russ was just taking his time. And so I looked again and I found this ring. And so I had, Russ said, did you find something? I said, you know, I think I might have, but I think I might have. Michael, women love jewelry, let me just tell you. And so he looked at it, and um, we ended up buying it. And um, they were going out of business, so they couldn't size it for us. So we ended up taking it to the jeweler, to another jeweler who makes jewelry for jewelry stores. So this is, like, not just, you know, Joe Smith who, you know, has a blowtorch in the back. This is somebody who makes jewelry. And, <laughs> and he asked to see the receipt. He said, I want to see what you paid for this ring. And, you know, because this is like the moment, Doug, this is like the moment where you're holding your breath thinking, okay, either I got a really amazing God deal or this guy's going to go, bless your fuzzy heart. You know, um, this came out of a cracker jabba. And um, so I handed him the receipt and he looked at it and out of his mouth came. I couldn't make this ring for what you paid for it. He said, you actually bought it below cost. Let me tell you, the ring that Russ bought me when we first got engaged was stunning. I sold the ring to buy a townhome. Because, Nick, when your heart breaks, you should buy real estate. And um, then immediately, immediately the townhome, the, the market screwed up and it went under. So I spent, I owned it for 10 years and um, it, was, it was flipped most of the time. Until the last year, Larry. And I, when that townhome sold, it went up half again as much as I paid for it. That's the redemption of God. And I was happy when that happened. So we haven't really totally got the yeehaw portion of the story. So I was thrilled with that. And I, I knew God had done that for Russ and I as, a, as just a redemption for the pain that we went through. You know? I mean, it was painful when we broke up. Probably more for him, actually, if you know. Um, Oh, my gosh. My cousin told him I pined, and he has, well, you know you pined. Um, men do not pine, and they do not cry. Um, so he, so um, God redeemed that pain in my life, and I was happy with that, Michael. I was thrilled with that. That's a God print, you know. And so we get this ring. We find out that it is, that we bought it for under cost, and it was actually the retail price of the ring that's currently on my finger. Yes, we're having a showing. Um, was more than my original ring. And we paid less by two-thirds, maybe, of what we paid for the original one. So if you're waiting for God to put a thumbprint on your life to redeem your life, he does that. Yeah. Now, when we're sitting with each other and talking, because there's things, you know, there's things between couples you don't say to each other right away. I mean, I know that. Shannon, Michael, you guys talk about everything. You're very transparent. I totally get that. I'm teasing. But um, there's just things that you don't say to each other. We're sitting down at the end of the day, and I'm still in. I got a new ring glow. You know, women, you never get over that. Let me just tell you, you never get over that glow. And I've cleaned it 4,000 times. Pam, I'm telling you. And um, so we were sitting there, and Russ, out of Russ's mouth came. You know, I always had a big regret that I wasn't able to buy you another ring. 
because my grandmother loved jewelry, so I had my grandmother's jewelry, and I would wear her jewelry as my wedding ring because I just I'd rather have rust than any jewelry. So it, I was happy with that, and and it just really touched my heart that he would share that with me. That it bothered him that we that he never bought a ring. Can he share as a man what he felt? I want him to, but if you can make Russ, it, you must do this. Well, you told you told me how much that meant to you when you got that ring. I would like for you to tell us what did that mean to you. What Jane, what Janine is saying about that when couples, there's things that couples don't talk. I think there's things that we don't even tell ourselves. There's things that we want so deeply or have such deep regrets we don't even admit it to ourselves because we don't want to face the disappointment in it. And so when we broke up, that was a very difficult part of our lives. And um, we almost blew it. It's It's unbelievable that God did not allow us to blow it because we did everything possible to do that. <laughs> and um, when we were broke, when we broke up, she sold the ring instead of giving it back, which is actually what you're supposed to do. Now, um, <laughs> so she kicked me to the curb. Um, but anyway, she sold the ring. She got an apartment, so it was all good, right? She ended up um, being able to have a home for herself while we were apart. When we got back together, um, I was never able to really, we we had to reestablish a life and move and pay for a bunch of stuff. So I never actually bought her another ring to replace it. And that always bothered me. And um, now I work for myself. I started a new business, so I'm not actually employed. So it was not, I was not in a position to buy her and replace a ring, which obviously you all know how expensive they are. So... When we went shopping for rings, it was a secret desire of mine to, and, we, and that's why she was looking, okay, she's going to pick the ring out, I want to put it on layaway, and at some point be able to get it for her. And when this occurred, when he gave us, when God provided, because she has very fancy, specific taste, so the <laughs> fact that this store, which was basically the last day of this closeout, there was one ring left that was actually a nice. Wow. Um, was double over what I had paid before for one quarter of the price. It was just totally gone. And you think, man, I wasn't even going to God with that need. I wasn't going to admit that that hurt me so greatly. Because I saw I saw no way that God would put a priority on that. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. of all the things, that's it's kind of a stupid thing, actually, really. I mean, God doesn't care about jewelry. But apparently he does. But so I never went to God and say, "Oh God, you got to fix this," and I regret it. But the fact that he cared, the fact that he is so intimate with me that he knew it, mm-hmm. right? So she thinks we're going out to shop for my ring. My ring was eighty nine dollars, but it's like the perfect ring. And we looked at seven hundred, eight hundred dollar men's wedding rings. So it's like, so he provides me this ring for like the cost of Cracker Jacks. But it's the perfect ring, and then this came across. But I, I think the last, the take-home lesson. I've made this too long. The take-home lesson is how intimate he is with us, and how we have these things within us that we're not even willing to admit or ask for. Yeah. 
And yet, he loves us so much. It's kind of like what we do with our children, right? All of a sudden, we bring something home that they, and we surprise them, and they're just absolutely delighted. And what makes us so powerful is, like, so she doesn't know that's within me. I don't know the need is within her that she secretly wanted this to be restored. So we just admit that. And we both admit it at the same time, and we didn't know the other person. Wow. Do you know what I'm saying? Wow. And it's, you're just in awe of what God can do um, and how much he cares. And, I th- and it's so easy to lose sight of that because of the pressures of the world. Um, maybe it's hard to believe sometimes just how much he cares, even though we, you know, we know he gave his son and all, but... He does these little things for us to constantly keep us aware of. Um, well, see, you know, what, what I see, I, want, I wanted to hear your heart, and it was a secret of your heart. And he, he brought it out at the right moment that nobody saw coming. A need in her, a need in you, you could even share it with one another, but God is in the middle of it all, and he brought it together. In a moment, mm-hmm. meeting every single need. That's his passion. Mm-hmm. He's looking for this moment. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm telling you, you're all over it. Mm-hmm. So I just want to hear him. Well, can I, can I share a little bit with you here? I, when you said that we, our, our, our promises and stuff like that, we sometimes let it become our focus in life. And, and we lose our passion for him, basically. So true. And now, but he, now he's letting us pick it back up again for those that are older. You know why, Janine? This is for you, honey. Because you've already answered the question. He means more. He means more to you than anything. He just wants you to know it now. And what I see God doing is... The passion, I mean the fire that he said, the one scripture I have not brought out, is the fire of his jealousy. He does not want us to make an idol or an image of anything because he's jealous for us. He wants us so bad that he made it the second commandment. Do not make an idol of anything. I am a jealous God. I want you. And now you've answered the question. And God, I want you. What I see happening here, and I wanted to hear it from him because we need to hear the male. We need to hear the bridegroom. Because this is where this is coming. Folks, you, you are being led into the fire. Mike, if you get that ready. Go ahead. I want to play a song for us, if that's okay with you right now. Because I think this is where you're going. Your fire is ahead of you. And and it, the reason for it is what you just saw right here. He is trying to bring you to him. He is so passionate about this, he can't hardly stand it. And he's fixed to lock you up. Go ahead.
We're going to have fun tonight, in case you wondered. It's going to be really good. Um, Oh, for heaven's sakes, when do we not have fun? Um, So God gave me this picture of um, giving you matches. We have a fire marshal here. We're good. I've warned him. Um, We're not going to light them, and I want the kids to have them. Um, And I thought I was going to go down the aisle and, and pass them out. But this is something you have to desire. This is something you have to ask for. This is something you have to make an effort to come. So we have a basket of matches. And I, William got the big ones. That doesn't surprise me. Um, Larry, I think you're supposed to hold the basket. And this is, I know, this is inviting you, this is inviting you to be willing for the fire. This is inviting you to say, this is not a, um, this is not a holy relic. I don't expect to see it in a place of honor in your house. Um, This is, what this is, is a, a symbol of going to Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, I'm willing. I want your passion. Because it just starts as a spark. This is starts, passion starts as a small thing. It just takes a spark. And no, I'm not going to sing it only takes a spark to get a higher going. See, that was a, that was a generational thing. We sang that when we were kids and, and I'm back now. Um, so as you leave, I want you to come out, I want you to come up and get one of these. And as you come tonight, um, if you want to, I'm not going to make you all, I'm not going to stand at the door and say, well, I didn't get one. Um, But I want you to want it. And as you come tonight, um, I want you expectant that God's going to talk to you about it. And I'm done. Mike, uh, if you could play, the, if, can you get the lyrics up there? Uh, guys, as we do this, I'm a man, it's hard for me to understand what anybody said. But the lyrics on this song should penetrate you. I'm kind of in a well right now. Can we do it? Yeah, do it like you do communion. Uh, do it like you do the walk to Emmaus. Just hit the rose, hit the to the wall next to you, and and come on up and, and take the, take the time that you need, folks. Sometimes you do things physically to to show what's going on in your spirit. And so, I mean, why take communion? It's just a piece of bread, it's just some water, some wine. It's showing a spiritual reality. So don't be religious. This is your passion. <laughs>